I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews this morning, Hebrews chapter 10. I began this year by talking about a subject, Brother's Keeper, the theme that has to do with how we not only relate to each other, but our responsibility that God gave us toward each other. It's not a thing you see a lot of. You see it occasionally, and you see it more than you used to. Some people have a natural knack for caring about other people. They seem to have that in their heart. They're just caring, loving, compassionate people, always wanting to help make things better for somebody else. And you you always appreciate people like that. And I think as I read the Scripture and look at the bigger picture of what we call the church, which for us is not something universal all over the world that somehow we're a part of a mystical body, but a local assembly. A local assembly, I think the phrase body of Christ is a phrase for a local assembly. Assembly and a gathering of individuals who have been led together by God for the purpose of worship and, and listening to the word and being convicted and so on and so forth it becomes a very vital, necessary, and important role in our lives. Maybe a lot of people don't see that and don't realize that because for a lot of people, church is somewhat of an option. But as you grow, if you're growing, if you're tuned in, you got live streaming from heaven, you begin to realize as you grow, as maturity begins to take place in your life, you begin to see things more from a spiritual perspective. You begin to see the church as something way more and way more important than it ever was before. Listen at these words in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's begin in verse 22 and read through verse 25. It begins with, let us. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, because we are saved, because God has delivered us and because God has accepted us, let us in an honest and pure heart, let us draw near with sincerity. And as we do, he said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Actually, the word is in the Greek, the word is hope, but it says faith here. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. You have been saved and brought to God. When you have been brought to God, you have been accepted by God. And God has offered to you because he has drawn you the resources of heaven, even himself. And he said many times, ask, come to me. All you have to do is believe that. Well, he said, let us hold fast to our confession of faith. Because he that promised us, who's brought us to him, is faithful to his word. And not only that, but while we're on this earth, we have this us and God relationship but also included here in verse 24 and 25, let us consider one another. Yes, God has brought us to him, but he's brought many others to him also. Would you agree that you're not the only one he saved? That when he puts us in a body, you're not the only one in there that's right with God? 
Well, you're not. He brought others with him. I'll assume you believe that. And he said, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, the day, I believe, is referring to the day of the Lord, the day when things will be terminated. That'll be the end of all things. The day of the Lord is a big subject. We won't go into that. But it's not a day, it's a time when things will come to an end on this earth. Judgment will take place and so forth. Now, that day is coming, and when that day comes, it's too late to fix things. It is now to then, whether you die first or whether you're here when the Lord comes, you want to be ready. You want to make sure that you give heed, the more earnest heed to the things that you have heard. God's word is a precious word. Not everybody can hear it. Not everybody wants to hear it. But he has assigned your ear to receive it. And your ear is connected to your heart. And what he says to you should go into your heart and have this role of directing your steps and guiding you through life. This is what he wants to do. And as the day approaches, we see the world. I, maybe you do too. I'm sure you do. You hear of all the stuff going on in the world, and you see the trends, the immoral trends in our country and society, how much things now are gray and not really absolute or black and white anymore. They're just sort of gray. And how things are not fair, but who cares? And stealing and robbing and lying and cheating has become a way of life. Living together, perversions of all sorts is everywhere. Now, these are forecasts. The Bible said before the Lord comes, it'll be like it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it's going to be filthy on this earth. Jesus said darkness is coming. When your light will not be wanted by anybody. So that day is coming. We've already been warned about it. We've been told it's going to happen. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Because we will see things that really bother us and disturb us. But he said, these words in this verse, he said, but as you see this day approaching, realize that what God puts you in, his body, is what he's coming back for. The only thing that gives purpose to this earth is us. If it wasn't for Christians on this earth, there would be no reason for heaven to be kind to its inhabitants. I think the only thing that holds back the forces of evil from taking over the earth are overcomers, those who know how to apply the word of God. The average church member doesn't. They don't know anything about that. I don't think they do. I've never met many that do. But some he's been teaching and informing about that day and his coming and the, the conditions on the world. And this is for us to get ready. But not only us, but we're told here, one of our reasons for assembling together is so that our eyes can be open to see needs in the church. And we can't say, well, that's not my problem. That's their problem because it probably is your problem too. You're going to be a part of that. God says it. Notice again, verse 25. Not forbidding the assembling of yourselves together. Assembling has to do with coming together. 
meeting together. It's understood like that. That forbid not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. We'll get to that in a minute. As is the manner of some. Don't be like that. God didn't put you in a body to occasionally visit it. God didn't establish his body on the earth for it to be an option in anybody's life that's a Christian. It is not. And so he says, forbid not the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, but learn how to relate to each other and be considerate of each other. Let me read two translations again. It's just a different way of saying it. One translation said concerning verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. One translator says, let us be concerned for one another. Now, if that's the right translation, does that mean that I am to have in me not only a concern for my life and my direction and my relationship with God, but also my responsibility towards you to affect you in some way? Whether it's correct you in a negative way, but to have positive results, or to be one who's drawn alongside you to encourage you, to help you, to give you a boost, to say something good to you, nice to you, kind to you, something that makes you appreciate the fact that somebody does care about you. Do you suppose there are people in the church who really do feel that nobody cares about them? Do you suppose there's, there's even one? Well, there are. There are people who probably feel like they're not really important in a body of believers. Paul referred to them as uncomely parts. They don't seem to have much to say. They don't seem to have a lot of energy to do anything. They're just sort of drift in and drift out. But they're as much a part of what we are as any of us are. They belong to God as much as any of us. There are no inferior people in here. There are no superior people in here. As I've heard, and you should know, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Nobody's higher than anybody else. God didn't call any of us because we had something to offer. We had nothing to offer God. God called whoever he called to him because he loved them, and he, had a, he has a purpose and a design for their life. And we should come to the place in our Christian life where we realize that not only do I have this personal relationship to God, but I must also have a personal relationship with you. Now, that's a message, too. This translation goes on to say, let us be concerned for one another to help one another to show love and to do good. Now, whether that means to help one another, comma, to show love, comma, and to do good depends on the translator. But if he says, let us help one another to show love, then it means in some way we should inspire or be an inspiration to other people to be more loving. I believe love is contagious. I believe when you love people, you cause them to think about what has happened and what you did, and maybe they should do the same. Now, maybe it's saying that. But there has to be this interpersonal relationship with each other where I really do consider you and I become aware of you and I think about you and pray about you as how I can help you in your life, interact with you. 
Another translator says, let us continue to consider one another as to stimulate one another to love and good works. Now, I don't know if everybody does this. I know a lot of Christians in my past who have made it a point to be of some value to somebody else, to play a role in somebody's betterment in their life. I know also within the church there are little reporters They come to take notes and notice who's not right, notice who's not wearing this or notice who's wearing that, or to notice any kind of weakness in a sermon or a message or something, and they go out and broadcast it. That helps nobody. All that's done in the past 30 years of my life is looking at it. All that's done is make people bitter against each other. And isn't it amazing that what God is putting together, they don't do this, they got faith, they walk this way, they don't take that or go there, they're not this, or, oh, they got all this faith message down right, and you cannot get along with them. Because there's always something different about you than about me, and they cannot help but say, unless you change and be like me, I can't really relate to you. And we've divided the body. Turn to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Then we'll come back to Hebrews 10. This is what Paul said to the Corinthian church. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, that is, spiritual men, spiritually able, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat. You were not able to handle it. You were carnal. You know why they were carnal? Because they chose size over who they ought to follow. In verse 4, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of this and I'm of that. And Paul had to turn to them and say, now these people you're choosing to be the great ones, who are they? Is Paul some great one or is he just somebody that God did something in so that he could do something through? It's just a human body. The work is God's. The great giver is God. He uses people. People are not to be crowned kings. The king uses people. And when we divide up, it's just like at, in 1 Corinthians 11, they had their communion. Sunday, as we call it, they took communion probably every day, but as often as they met. And they had their gatherings, and they wouldn't even fellowship with each other. Remember, Paul said one group has met over here, and Another group is over here, and another group is here. He said, I don't commend you for your love feast. It's not love at all. You've divided yourselves up. You don't even associate and fellowship with that bunch or that group or him or her because they don't measure up to your particular standards, and therefore you reject them. And he said, this is not the body of Christ. Jesus didn't die for that group or that group. He died for you all, y'all. He died for people not little pockets of people. And yet we have so ingrained ourselves through the years that if they don't speak like us, dress like us, talk like us, assemble like us, sing our songs, and do things our way, then we just won't have anything to do with them. He said in Romans chapter 14, said, him that is weak in the faith receive ye. Not to doubtful disputings, but accept him as a brother in the Lord. 
oh, I know he's weak in the faith and he thinks that you shouldn't eat meat because, oh, if you eat meat, you know, that's really... Okay, that's what he believes personally about his relationship to God. That's where he is right now. Give him that. You don't have to change him right now in order to fellowship with him. God accepts him as one who's serving. He has a heart to for God. He doesn't know any better yet. But when he's taught, he'll go, oops, and he'll turn around. And hopefully he'll turn around and you'll accept him instead of saying, well, I told you. <laughs> and drive a wedge in your relationship. Some people are just loving and tolerable like God is. They're long-suffering, and they're tolerant, and they receive those that are weak in the faith, not to leave them alone, because the Bible says if you see a brother in a fault, you correct them. Paul says, I warn everybody I meet. He warns. Nobody likes that, but it's a part of what we do. Not to make you like me, but to make you aware of the fact that Jesus holds us to a standard. We meet together to provoke one another into good works, to be encouraging, to be loving, to be kind, or as one author said, to show sympathy and to show kindness. Go back to Hebrews. Back to Hebrews 10 again. Take the word consider. Let me give you a dictionary, a Greek dictionary on the word consider, what the word more properly means. He said, take careful note of each other's spiritual welfare. It denotes attentive, continuous care. Now, that's not really an interference in somebody else's private life. As much as it is we're here together, and you see people that are dragging their feet or depressed. Or you notice during the praise they never do much and, you know, they're just kind of sitting there weepy and weary looking. Could that not be a signal to you to start praying about some way you might <clears throat> encourage them? Well, it would. God opens your eyes to see something in the church. You know, that verse about giving, he said, if you see a brother have need, maybe nobody else saw it, but you did. He said, if you see a brother have need and you shut up your heart of compassion from him, how does the love of God dwell in you? It's the love of God that provokes and promotes all of this. To love God is to love your neighbor. The first great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And Jesus said, and the second is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not your enemy. I'm not your adversary. But us together, we must both walk a fine line before the Lord. And if you're failing or halting, then I want to encourage you to stay with it. This will work. If you're trying to quit, we need to go get you. Because we are our brother's keeper. We are responsible by virtue of being here being sent here and being established here, we are our brother's keeper. I am not independent of you nor you me. I have a responsibility to contribute in some way to your well-being. I may not be able to run around with you. Now, I'm different than you are being standing here today talking. So I have that particular role. But I also have the individual responsibility just like you do to be encouraging or to whatever I can do to somebody to give an answer to a man who is in need. 
to be called alongside to help and encourage somebody who is in trouble or difficulties or grieving. We need each other. We really do need each other. And it's a sad and sorry state when this is an option for you. You don't need to be here. That God brought you here, but you know, I don't need to be there. Don't be like that. That's not what God is doing. That is not what he's doing. You're not the focus of his attention on the earth, though you're the apple of his eye. But his body that he puts you in is what he's coming for. And part of our role in life is to help each other. Sometimes you feel like people are interfering in your life, and you come and say, Brother, you've missed two or three weeks of church. Is there something wrong? I mean, is there anything I can do? They might be missing church for reasons they don't want to talk about. Sin. You see, a man who does sin, a man who's goofing off and watching stuff and doing things he should not do, his guilty conscience will keep him from coming to church and being a hypocrite. That's what the Spirit says. The devil will say that. And sometimes you get to see that. And it's a signal to you to go to that person. Is there something wrong in your life? Is there anything I can talk to you about? Something I can go pray about? Most of the time he'll say, no, no, no. I, you know, I'm just working some things out. I'm just going through something. And yet when you start praying, does God answer prayer? Amen. Would your prayer, if you're in right standing with God, could your prayer affect him or her? But what if you don't pray for them? I think God one day will single you out and say, you know, I laid them on your heart and you did nothing. I mean, God can do whatever he does without us, but he uses us. That's the way he chose to do it. He saves people by using people. We encourage people with people. We often correct people with people. We deal with people with people. This is the way God works. We get to show him how willing we are to be involved in each other's life by how we respond to the things he shows us. Giving, helping, encouraging, visiting, whatever it might be. In Barnes's notes, he said this, Let us regard the welfare of others as to endeavor to excite them to persevere in the Christian life. Let us be mutual and kind and sympathetic in the concerns of others. This would be a deeper work. God would have to do a work in my heart to show me not only am I to keep my hands on my plow, walk my life, and keep my eyes on Jesus, but while I'm doing that, to be of some value to you. At the end of your day to say, I thank you, God, for the people who care about me, who've been concerned about me, for the people who want me to do better. I thank you for the phone call, the note, the letter. I've gotten notes many times in the mail, little encouraging things. I appreciate all of them. Because I know people are thinking. Sometimes you never know. You know, but that's another story too. But let us be concerned about each other. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. And don't take this wrong, what this verse says. It doesn't mean try to get what somebody else has. But he said in Philippians 2, in verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. What does that mean to you? 
Well, that doesn't mean you're trying to get what they have. But instead of you being so eager to get all you can, why don't you make sure that other people are doing well too? All of you have heard of Jehoshaphat, the story of him, haven't you? And Jehoshaphat, when he became king as a young man, he began to study the first ways of his father David. His daddy Asa was a good man. But as he began to study the scripture, because in Deuteronomy 21, every king that came to the throne had to write for himself in the presence of the priest a copy of the law. That law was to be with him all the days of his life, and he was to read that so he would fear and reverence the Lord. Well, Jehoshaphat did. And when he began to do that, God began to bless him immensely. And the very next thing it says that Jehoshaphat did, because he was blessed so much, he wanted his people blessed. Isn't that good? Will you bless my people also? And as he began to send teachers out, because that's where the blessing came, it came through the word. The people didn't have Bibles in those days. They couldn't study. They had to be taught. The only people that could teach were the priests, the teaching priests. They had the scrolls with them, and they would go to these homes and areas, and they started teaching. And the whole nation was blessed. The whole kingdom, southern two tribes, were blessed. They were blessed because a man was blessed. His relationship to God was so blessed, he wanted the people under him to be blessed. In other words, he cared about other people. He was interested in how they did. He cared about them. Well, individually, that's the way we should be. Somebody's child is having a problem or marriage or something. Instead of us sitting around drinking coffee, well, isn't that tragic? Boy, all the word they've heard, they could do better than that. And yet, that's not the right discussion. The right discussion is face-to-face or in your prayer closet as you appeal to God for their well-being, that you, God would touch their child or their marriage or that God would make a way to bring everything into focus spiritually so that they can see what they're doing and, and know the right way to go. It's taking time to pray for people's needs instead of just being glad you don't have that problem. We're here for a higher purpose than just glad I don't have that problem. We are a part of a greater whole. Look who God sent here. Most of us came from somewhere. Most all of us did. I did. I wasn't born here. I didn't grow up in this town. I've been here twice. Got out of here as fast as I could the first time, but I couldn't stay away. And look at all the people he brought here. We're so different. Some of us were in churches. Some of us weren't. We're so different. Some of us were Baptists or Catholic or Methodists or beach bums. I mean, we belonged to all kinds of different things. We had different philosophies, ideas, little things that irritate some that wouldn't others. And it's sometimes it's touch and go on how you relate to people are strange, difficult, standoffish. And you'd think that after 30 years of teaching and preaching on this, that all of that would change because of the effect of the word. But it hasn't, not with everybody. So should we write it off and say, well, they're not going to make it? Or do those that have changed and can begin to see the body in its right focus, do they begin to pray? And begin to care. God sent me here. I want everybody here to go to heaven. I treasure 1 Timothy 4 at the end of that verse where it says, you know, you give yourself to the word and read it and so on. He said, for in doing so, you save not only yourself, but all them that hear you. Do you remember that? 
Folks, nothing better will ever happen to us than that day when we go home to be with Jesus. There's nothing greater that could happen to you. My sermon I'm working on, the five greatest events in your life. The fifth one is going to be with Jesus. Not dying, because a lot of people die. It would be better if they stayed alive a little longer. But when you die in the faith and you go to meet the Lord, that is the number one final greatest thing that has ever happened and will ever happen in your life. Then there's another life that begins, which I don't know that much about, but I know it'll be wonderful. But in the meantime, we're here. It gets hot, gets cold, right and wrong, up and down, persecution, suffering, all of this kind of stuff. People give up easy and they want to quit and they whine about this and I'm not going back and you're living in that and you see that that's wrong. You don't know what to do about it. God shows you things and he gives you a mission. Your mission field is the body he puts you in to encourage people, to visit people. Well, I don't want to, you know, interfere in their life. Go ahead. Try it once to see what they do. Well, I was taking a nap. I'm glad you were. We all, I love naps. I love a good one. But awake thou that sleepest. <laughs> the Lord is coming. You better get ready to go. But look not every man on his own things, but on the things of each other. If you're doing well, would you like for others to do equally as well? Amen. Would you? If God is prospering you, would you like for everybody in the assembly to prosper? Well, of course you would. I would think you would. I would think that you would. In Psalm 41 and verse 1, concerning considering one another, he said, blessed are those who consider the poor. We've been through that. There's five blessings, five responses from God if you consider the poor. One of them is healing and health. Just because you're willing to look away from yourself to the needs of others. To involve yourself at least prayerfully in the needs of other people. That your day is not just spent you seeking first the kingdom, but you also in his kingdom trying to get your brothers and sisters there as whatever your role is in their life. To help them and to encourage them. Take the word provoke one another unto good works. Our word provoke means to stimulate. It's as simple as that. It means to stimulate. I pray that as we mature, as we become grown-up Christians, no longer foolish and acting senseless about this and easily offended and hurt and wearing our feelings on our sleeves all the time, but grown-up able to cope, I pray that we will see as God has brought us a certain distance down the road that we can, through our experience, help other people. If you've been through a struggle with marriage, with grief, uh, with some kind of difficulty in your life, drugs or something, and you have come out of it and God has established you, do you not know that your past experience will enable you to relate to people going through the same thing? And it's not a time for you to keep silent. Well, I know what they're going through. I've been there. Well, I know what they ought to do. Why don't you tell them? Why don't you tell them? 
Why don't you call him and say, um, been thinking about you, and I wonder if I could talk to you because I know you're going through some things, and I think I can share some things with you that would help you. They might say no. That's okay. Now it's on their mind, isn't it? God can take your words and your phone call to bring some conviction where later on they'll say, you know, I'm sorry I was short with you. Let's just talk. Okay, now you get your chance. And from your heart, you can share with somebody how the Lord gave you grace and blessed you and brought you out of darkness. I've had people talk to me, you know, my family is broken up. I said, I've been there. I've been there. My parents were like that. I know exactly what you're talking about. Then they listen. You can just see them tuned in like, huh, you were, you, you been, yeah, I've been through that. They might say, well, I would have never known from what you talk. Well, I hope I've grown some. I hope I can look back and see where it was and how God brought you out of all of that and established you. Now you have some past information that you can use to relate to other people. Everything going on in your life has a purpose. You're not being left alone by God to just wander through this world. There is purpose and design in everything that God is doing with you. And he will use others to bring them into your life to help you, make you see your appreciation for them, and connect with them. It's called love. It's called care and concern. I appreciate you for coming to me. Thank you for your kind word. Thank you for the cards you wrote. Thank you for the phone call. I don't mean that God ever wants us to make a nuisance of ourselves. But there are times he wants you to prayerfully consider what role you can play in somebody else's life. The Bible said for us to consider one another. It means think about it. As I've said, it means take careful note of each other. Something ought to be done there. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. I don't know. And then our verse, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. To forsake means to desert, to walk away. Let me ask you a question, because this happens all the time. Why do people abandon the assembling of themselves with other Christians? Why do they forsake the assembling of themselves? Well, think about it. One, they're backslid. They're living differently than what is being taught. They come to church and they hear what's right, and they think about what they did this week or last night, what was wrong, and they're not willing to make that turn, and they're going backwards instead of forwards. Though so they started in the church, now they found themselves going backwards. We call it backslid. And they would feel like a hypocrite if they did what they did last night, indulged in whatever they indulged, and then come to church and hold their hands and sing, how much they love the Lord. They're backslid. As far as they're concerned, and this is the devil's work, you're not good enough to go back. Your nature's waste. You're no good. You go in there one time and tell everybody, and you give your testimony, I want to praise the Lord this morning for this. And then last night you were out that bar with you-know-who, and, and you know what happened? And you have the gall down to go to church in the morning, sit there with all these saints with your hands in the air saying, praise the Lord. Come on. 
And a lot of times that kind of mental anguish and depression, spiritual depression, just kind of overloads on people and they just back off. They're guilty conscience about living wrong. That's why Christians in the church don't praise like they used to or should. They feel condemned by how they've been living. Something wrong with the conscience on the inside. I would like to think that the more we run around with the right people, the more we have a chance of being corrected. Well, if you don't, you run around with one of my son-in-laws. He'll fix it, you know. Well, Keith wouldn't mind me telling this. One day we were talking, driving through the town and just fellowshipping. That's okay. And some driver did something wrong. I said something, you know, ignorant or worse than ignorant driver. And didn't get around the corner good until he ruined the whole day. He said, do you think you ought to talk like that? Say, what corner you want out at? <laughs> you know what? But I only say that because I have come to appreciate that because that's the way it's supposed to be. We are our brother's keeper. If you're going to preach it, you ought to at least demonstrate it. <laughs> if you're going to talk out and make us go, oh, then you ought to at least go oh, yourself when you're not doing it. Should we not all have somebody that we respect? We respect their opinions that will level with us about what's right and wrong and say things that are right. And when you don't do right, they tell you you're not right. And you could do that with them. <laughs> you could do that with them. Should that not be the way it is? But people forsake the assembling of themselves because of guilt. Another one is they forsake the assembling of themselves because they're apostate. They don't need this. They remember all of this. They remember all the things they've heard. I bet you most people that are truly apostate now probably know as much theologically after years gone by and the intense study of many years ago. Everybody studied. Everybody studied. And a whole lot of those people have departed and left with no intention of coming back. God does bring some of them back. But some of them just lay their Bible down and walk away and never look for it again, never come back. I think they just switched gears, made a new decision. I don't need this. I don't need Christianity. <clears throat> I don't need to be in there with all these people that, you know, are struggling and striving and oh, going through this. I don't need that. So they don't assemble anymore. They just stay away from it. Some people don't assemble together. Another reason that the people don't assemble is because they've been offended. Their children, they were easily offended. Somebody got their chair one Sunday. They know I sat down there. They know that's my chair. We had 100 visitors on that Sunday morning, and there was no other place to stop, but they got your chair. So you went home. Yeah, you took whatever you brought with you and you took it home. I've been at church three or four times and that lady has never spoken to me. Though she sat back there and you sat down here and there's a big crowd and you couldn't get back there. And she didn't say, oh, where is she? I got to go speak to her. Hi. And because she didn't do that, 
They're just a bunch of unloving people. I'm not going back there anymore. And the last Sunday, I mean, you know, the preacher, all he talked about was money. He wanted us to give more money. We need more money here. We got to have more money. That money stuff just turns me off. I'm, I'm just not going. If you ever told him, said, how much money have you given the Lord in the last year? It's none of your business. Well, I know he didn't. But if it's what I think it is, you're in trouble. People get offended over anything. I've timed him three weeks in a row. It's iron 12 minutes and 31 seconds, three straight weeks. And he acts like that's all we had to do is come and listen to him. I've heard so many different excuses and complaints by people who quit. One night a guy came up in the old Clay Street Church. And he says, I know you were talking about me tonight. I didn't say, you're bragging. You're bragging. You think I'm just thinking about you all the time. I'm bragging. And then, oh, I'm just, I'm after you. He went through his little tirade because he wanted to leave. So he got through. I said, I haven't even had you on my mind this week. But he wanted some excuse. People want an excuse. People look for excuses not to assemble because they have never seen the design of God in bringing people together in what is called a church or an assembly and teaching them and convicting them. They've never seen it. Church to them is a social organization in a community. It spends a lot of money building huge buildings so people will come. And you hire a preacher who will give you 30 minutes of something and then send you home feeling better than when you came in, hopefully. And have a nice Easter program, a nice cantata, and a nice this or that, and make everybody feel so good about their church. It's just a little thing. But as far as eternal, it means nothing. They can leave it. They can go to some other state, some other town, and they'll just look around and find a little something to go to. And they look around. So I like this one better than that one. And they're never really a part of anything. Do you all hear what I'm saying? Maybe it's a pet peeve of mine. I don't know. But they're never really a part of anything. I mean, it's what can you do for me? Church, I am here. I'm really important. i got some money. What are you going to do for me? What can you all do for me? We're not after your money. We don't care about your money. We care about your soul. About whether or not you go to heaven. And while you're here, whether or not you're working on your convictions. If you're condemned this morning, it's because of sin in your life. I've heard some of the same sermons that other people have. It. Some said, boy, I just, that message condemns me. And I mean, I think, praise God for the light. I see some things. I'm glad I see it and I can deal with it. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's why we should be ready always to give an answer to every man. Because God has done something in us. I mean, we are in debt to each other. I owe you something. You're a part of me. I'm a part of you. Another reason people don't assemble is because they're not saved. They visit, they go to church, not to get saved, not to get right with God. They usually go to see what it's like there, or they go with him, or they go with her, or they go with them. They have no intentions of anything happening. They just go. Four reasons why people forsake the assembling of themselves. 
And yet, I'll tell you this, this place, this y'all, this is a treasure to me. What would I do on this earth without you? Now, that's how important it is to me. God didn't send me here to languish. He didn't send me here to backslide. He didn't send me here to give up. I've told a couple of people in my life, you could have quit where you came from. All the trouble you got here, you could have gotten that trouble somewhere else. Why didn't you stay there? But here is where I belong. This is the most wonderful place for me on any given Sunday to be in the world. I would rather be here Wednesday night than anywhere. I used to get a little bit discouraged, but just more like disgusted, you know, just kind of a thing between those two about the lack of interest that I perceive, but I know it's more than that. Sometimes that's just a little pity party. Somebody has to come up every now and then and say, brother, just because they're not responding doesn't mean we're not listening. And sometimes you have to think, you know, just preach the word. Let God do all the other stuff. Just preach the word. If they want to listen, they will. And if they don't want to listen, they won't stay here long. They won't. If they're not really interested in what God is doing, they'll just say, this is too much. It's overwhelming. I just can't take it. And they'll go. But just preach the word. You know how many people have told us how blessed we are here. If you start at the front and not much here and go through the whole thing about how famous and well-to-do we all are, there's not much here. But we're blessed. I can honestly say that as far as I know, I love you all. And I'm sure that it's reciprocal. I think you love me too. We may not run around with each other and spend all day long... You're so wonderful. You're so wonderful. We don't do that because we're not to exalt each other like that. But we love each other. You see people on the street. You're my friends. I don't run around with other people. I know a lot of other people, but I don't derive pleasure from running around people. I have to watch what I say all the time. I can say to you what I say in a pulpit if we're together, and I figure you understand that. We talk about healing and health and joy and peace. You know what I'm talking about. I don't have to defend myself to you. I don't have to worry about what you think when we're out talking about things of that sort. What a blessing it is to be in an assembly. What a blessing it is that we did not have to get up today and wonder where we ought to go to church today. And then if we went to somewhere we wish we hadn't have gone, we don't have to spend the rest of the day getting over what was said that wasn't right. Amen. right. Oh, people say to me, you know, well, we're looking for a church. I've been through this too many times, this little scenario here, but why don't you pray about where God wants you to be? Well, we can't just be anywhere because we have our home here and our families here. I'm just saying, why don't you pray about where God wants you to be? Don't let those things become obstacles in your life to keep you from growing and from hearing the word. Don't let that be a reason that God sends leanness into your souls. Because there is a place where God will prosper you even as your soul prospereth.
There is somewhere that you belong, that God would put you, that if you were there, you would love to be there. You wouldn't want to miss all the time and go when it's convenient. You would go all the time. You'd prepare to go. You'd get up in the morning with some kind of a prayer about your needs that morning. You'd pray for the people that we would hear the word, God, open my ears to hear. And me, I say, open my mouth and I may speak as one of the learned that we might interact with each other this way, that you'll use us and you'll use them and you'll say your word and we'll get it and we'll grow. And knowing before you get here that God's going to speak to you, what a blessing. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. What if I told you that God is doing something very special here? You say, well, I haven't seen it. Well, you haven't had your eyes opened. Something special, something unique. I'm not talking about coming together and having church. I'm talking about as we do that, God ministering to our persons and our needs, talking to us, giving us something to work on. Look at Ephesians 2 and verse 19. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built. Now, notice the rest of this, these last three verses, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. How many of you know the church began with apostles and prophets? That's how it started. That was a title that was on the people that initially laid the foundation upon which the church has grown. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, apostles and prophets. Then he says, in whom, verse 22, all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. Now I'm going to make this local. I'm not going to make this some mystical growth, putting up there where you cannot relate to. I don't think you can relate to a universal mystical body mentality. But you can relate to a local assembly where you see each other and you're a part of each other's life. Notice, we're all being put together, framed together. Do you see framed together and builded together? And then it says, is growing, growing into what? a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through his Spirit. Does that mean that as we develop and grow, that God begins to inhabit us or dwell amongst us or manifest himself in some way? Well, that's what he says. This is what is supposed to be going on here. We are being built. It's a process. It is taking place. We are being built upon what has been established and given to us. And we are told again that the whole building is fitly framed together. All the components of a building, which are people, parts and so forth, are people. And we are being fitted, fitly, we are being fitted together so that in the process we begin to grow into something that God favors and manifests himself in. Things should happen. 
Things are supposed to happen. This is the way it should work. Instead of us just going to church on Sunday morning, see what we're going to do this morning, see what he's going to say this morning without any expectation of anything happening. Look at chapter 4. At verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministering, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Who's going to do the edifying? Verse 11, he says he gave some for the perfecting of the saints. Perfecting of the saints. I think you well know that the word perfecting means to put in right order, to be arranged the way they should be. Just like Peter was mending his nets, the word mending is our same word perfecting. He was filling up the holes in the nets so that they would be as they ought to be to do what they were designed to do. He said, for the perfecting of the saints. Does that mean that as the saints come together that we need fixing? I said an hour and 12 minutes a while ago. This might be an hour and 32 minutes. <laughs> now think about it. I just want you to see this. God brought you here needing to be fixed. You're not somebody that is just here to fix everybody else. You need a little fixing yourself while you are fixing. For the perfecting the putting in the right order of the saints for the work of ministering. That's our word for deacon, one who serves. To fix me so I can benefit you. Think of it. With all the things there are to teach and all the directions a church could go, he says one of the major things that happens is that God sends his word into us to start locating us, putting us in perspective, opening our eyes to see things, to start fixing us so that we're useful to him, so that we can then minister to other people. And when we minister, it's called edifying, building up. That's what our word edifying means. It means to build up those in the church for the body of Christ. Look at verse 16 from whom the whole body, would that be us? The whole body. I pray they're all here. I'm here. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad you're here. I belong here. I should be here. I am here. I'm not proud of that. I'm just glad that I know that. <laughs> Till we all come, and in verse 16 he says, look at it. From whom the whole body fitly, there's that word again, fitly joined together. Would that mean this, that as we are being put together like bricks? Brother Charles could help us with what holds bricks together and how you get it right or stones. You don't just throw a bunch of them in a pile. The evangelist doesn't come in and just throw a bunch of rocks in a pile and say, somebody pastor that. Each stone becomes a project. You've got to trim off the excess and make it in some kind of symmetry so that when you put it where it should be, it fits. It's not out of place. It's not with burrs and things. So you start trimming them down, and then you, you start putting something between these bricks so, or rocks or whatever so they will hold fast and people can't knock them over. They're held together by something. Let me read it again from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. 
Let me ask you a question. What in this illustration is a joint? Rock joints. If you have a nice brick here and a nice brick here, and this is you, and this is me, if by the work of God, the direction that he gives to the church to be a builder, Paul called himself a wise what? master builder, you're beginning to teach people, and by will and choice, they begin to put themselves together, they begin to see their need, and God sends something from heaven into each heart, what we're talking about, God gives some kind of understanding about you and me, our purpose together, we are compacted or held Together by that which what? We're held together by that which every joint supplies. Okay, so then each joint is a product of two parts. A and B, you and me. Each of us, by will and consent, are willing to do something this way and something this way that causes this to work. As I love you the way I should, I care about you the way I'm supposed to, God will do the same thing in you towards me. There will be a union and a harmony between us that the devil cannot break down. The only thing that tears the church up is division, separation, rumors, talk, Stuff that makes this one adversely affected to that one makes me not like you so that I don't want to do any more what I've been doing for you. And then the substance that held us together begins to crumble. Doesn't work anymore. Ezekiel 22 talked about people being put together with untempered mortar. Untempered mortar is just like a chalky stuff here that looks good for a while. It looks pretty when it dries, but it has no substance to it. Just religion. And the winds blow and the storms come and these walls fall because they're not held together. But when I don't want to let go of you, you don't want to let go of me, and we're held together by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, in the effective, energetic output of each part, me and you, what is the result? What's the end of verse 16 say? What comes from this? Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Well, then, does he say that our care and our response to each other and the needs of each, each other is a loving thing for us to do? Well, then, is this what he meant when he says provoke each other unto love and good works? I love you. I'm trying to like you, too, but I, I indeed love you. Or You know how that goes. This is not easy to do. Look how seldom it's ever happened. Look how seldom we ever have that. Go to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. You also in Shelbyville Christian Assembly and out 
yonder in the world of live streaming. You also, as living or lively stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto God. A living priesthood, offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. That you, these who are being built up, should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness unto his marvelous light. Think of yourself as a stone or as a brick or as whatever language that God uses to illustrate truths. You are something that God chose. You weren't perfect when God chose you. He didn't bring you here because you were perfect. He didn't put us together to, to say this is a perfect place. We know better than anybody else. We're not perfect. A young man asked me one time, he said, you think this is the only place somebody can go to church? <laughs> if it is, the whole world's in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Absolutely not but it's the only place for me. You see, I'm a brick, and you're a brick. I'm a rock, and you're a rock. It's not making rocks out of us, making bricks out of us. This isn't what it's about. It's putting them together. And putting them together in such a way that we're all related somehow. And he builds brick upon brick upon brick upon brick, and we're formed into a house, a temple. And it's designed so that when God manifests himself in it, it'll be a holy experience. That he will be praised and we'll honor him and glorify him. We won't sit here with our arms folded. We won't sit here and whisper a few hymns and run a few refrains through our lips. We won't do that. That's not what we're going to do. No. He brought us here to establish us and to fit us together this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. And my strength sometimes with the storms of life is because we're held together by that which every joint supplies. And this strength that we have that came from God, you know, we're held together. We're fitly framed. This is what God wants from us. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, and we'll begin closing. We're not done, but we'll begin closing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. We will need things like this in our church. Wherefore, encourage or comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Edify one another, even as you also do. You know what this word encourage is in the Greek? It's a word from which we get the work of the Holy Spirit. Parakleleo, it means one who comes alongside to help. The Holy Spirit doesn't do anything for you, but he comes to help you, enable you to do it. And he puts us in a class like that with each other visibly. We are often called alongside to help each other. As he said, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. 
But it also includes from occasional time to time, verse 14. Doesn't mean we just let anything go and let anything be, and you can act any way you want to. We know we can't act any way we want to. We know that some people's actions are wrong. But he said in verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded. What in the world is feeble-minded? Well, it means the faint-hearted, depressed, those that are worried, those that are just not doing well. They got a lot on their mind. They don't even know how to deal with it. You've had things on your mind. You dealt with it. You surely can give some good information to somebody, can't you? He said, comfort the feeble-minded, but warn the unruly. People take advantage of us. People come by every now and then to try to get all they can out of us. I mean, it doesn't take us long to figure them out either. They don't always know that, but we do. I've had my flag go up many a time as a pastor with a lot of people. It proved most of the time to be right. Be careful. Be cautious. There are people who want to take over if they could. We've had that. But alas, women can't preach. I look back over the years and I look at some of you that have been here a long, long time, been in this walk a long time. And I think of how much you've learned, how many valleys you've gone through, how many warring experiences you've had against the powers of darkness, and how you have triumphed over that and come out of that. And you've raised your hands and triumph and praise the Lord. Boy, there's a world looking for you. There's people in the church that are waiting on you to open your mouth and share with them how you did it. To share with me and encourage me how I can apply the word to my life, I just don't know. Ministry, ministering, edifying, comforting, all these things that God shows us in his word, this is what we are to do with each other. This is part of our ministering of Ephesians 4.12 for the work of ministering. We're being taken through life's way so that we can minister. That's what we're doing. Some of these guys that have been on the mission field, if you wanted to ask me a question about, well, what about a, I'd say, I'm the wrong one to talk to. I've only been there briefly, but I can tell you who you can go talk to and they can fill you in on all the details. And probably tell you if you have a heart to go, whether you ought to go or not, they could probably tell. Just things that we do and things that we've experienced that we are able to impart to each other or to somebody. And if you're not sure you can talk to them yet, you can always talk to God. Tell God that you care and encourage each other. And in closing, Galatians 6, please. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If you see a brother overtaken in a fault... That'll happen. What do you do? You call the pastor. Brother Hamilton. I saw brother so-and-so at a bar drinking a beer with two or three guys at a table that were loud and boisterous, and he was there drinking beer with them. I just happened to walk by, and as I looked in there, I saw him. 
Should that alarm you? I mean, if that brother we're talking about is a member, well, what do you do? What do you do about it? I know one brother that did this actually happen. I tried to use that as an example. He was a mailman. He happened to bring the mail in, give it, and there was one of the guys at church, one of the deacons or something down there at the end of the bar drinking a beer, and he didn't see him. So he goes down there to him, taps him on the shoulder, and he turns around and goes, and he said to his brother, said, what are you doing? What are you doing in here? What are you drinking that stuff for with all these people? Does he have a right to do that? If the brother says, it's none of your business, this is my life, then you know what? He's not a vital part of the body because he should cry. I think he did. That's Matthew 18. You try to win him right there. Let's go outside and talk. Brother, you can't do this. We've been taught better than this. You know better than this. This is the appearance of evil. This is not where a Christian ought to be ever except to pass out a track. And look at you sitting in here drinking that stuff, and you're supposed to be a part of our church. I'm going to have a hard time receiving from you unless there's a change in your life. Now, I'm not going to say anything about it unless you mess up again. If you do, I'm going to go get somebody. I'm going to come visit you so that every word, all the accusations are going to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. He heard it. And if you won't hear us, we'll take it to the whole church. Matthew 18. Do we have a right to do that? Why would we ever do that? You tell me, time out. Why would you ever do that? Because you don't want that person to think it's okay to be here and there. You're not allowed to do that. Who said after all these years of growing up, you now can sit around and drink casually, have a couple beers with you, but who said that? You say, well, there's no sin in drinking beer. No, there's sin in the appearance of evil. And if you encourage a weaker brother who sees you doing that, then he's going to think it's okay because you do it. And he's going to get drunk and something else is going to happen. It's going to be your fault. You can't do that like that in somebody's face. You know why you do that? Because you care. You caught them. Nobody else did. You deal with them. I don't even necessarily need to know about it unless he won't respond. Folks, we're a living organism. We're made up of people. We can't quit. We can't get away from this. We can't back off from it. We can't let go of it. We have got to have it. And what we've got to have is a whole bunch of yous and a whole bunch of me's together, caring, praying, interceding, ministering. When Jesus comes, I want this place to be empty. I don't want anybody to wander in here some Sunday morning and say, well, where is everybody? Well, they're gone. Listen to the news in those days and have the trouble, the stuttering over what they're going to try to say what happened to us. They don't know what happened to us. I wouldn't have a clue. Rapture, that's a song that was popular in the 50s. I thank God for the church. I can't relate to every other church in this town. I have no responsibility for the workings in any other group, any other established body in the world, except right here. I belong here. I was put here. 
This is where I'm going to do well. This is where the Lord will have me. And you're part of me. I'm a part of you. And together we are going to make it better. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless your word to your people. Help us to see what you're saying, to understand what you're saying, and to receive it in such a way that we're better for hearing it. ask you to continue to do your good work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.